Good morning, church. How we doing? My name is Aaron Adelman, and I have the privilege of being able to share with you this morning as we open our first week of what I believe to be a four-week series on community. And this morning, as we do, I'd like to ask you to think a little bit about what makes a community healthy. Have you ever thought much about that? Because when we look outside, our community is fantastic. You know, the community in this room is likewise fantastic. But as I began to study for this um, morning, I decided as a, a child who, who grew up in the age of computers that I'd look to Google and see what Google had to say. Start there, maybe. And if I can get my notes up here, Google had to say that a healthy community is one in which everyone feels safe, is financially secure, receives a good education, lives in stable, affordable housing in neighborhoods that make it easy to be healthy and active. Now that's all, that's all fine and good, and it sounds really nice, and in fact, if you were to look at which countries in the world are the most happiest, based on some of these topics like personal health and finances and politics, you'd find that, that the places where what Google had to say about a healthy community, where those things are in place, they're known to be the, the happiest places on the planet. And some of those are Scandinavian countries. But regardless, when these things are in place, it doesn't change the fact that a community is going to face struggles, that things like sickness and loss and grief um, things like sin and all of its effects are still going to be present. And so a person can have all of these, um, a, a community and a person can have all of these things in place for the sake of happiness and yet still feel broken, still feel the effects of sin. And so this morning as we talk, I'd like to introduce our topic, which is going to be joy. Joy in the fray. And the reason for this is because I think that as Christians, we need to be asking ourselves, Christians who struggle with the same kind of things that everyone else in our community is going to struggle with, how might our lives look different? Because the Lord has equipped us to be, be able to face those challenges and do it effectively. Now, I'd like to put a picture of a guy up here um, who some of you might recognize this guy, his name is Desmond Doss, uh, Desmond Doss and Desmond Doss um, was a corporal in the infantry during World War II. And when he decided that he was going to enlist, his goal was that he, he wanted to be there, be present for the men that he would be, be fighting alongside in order to, to serve and save them when they were injured. So he was real clear about this. But as you know, when you sign up and enlist, you go through boot camp. Boot camp then requires that you, you, know, you learn to be a soldier. You, know, you learn to carry a gun and, and field strip it and reload it and, and aim and fire it. This guy was unique during that time because he didn't want to do that. Um, he was someone who, who chose not to do that, in fact, and it caused him a lot of problems. Um, so by the time that he reached the war, the actual battlefield, uh, his colleagues had ridiculed him, and widely he had become known as a coward. 
because he, he just refused to carry a gun. Again, because of his conviction, I'm, I'm there to save people, not to kill people. And so the next picture over, you see him standing on top of that hill. And this was a little cliff that they had to climb um, in order to, to reach the battlefield to engage the enemy. And this is interesting because um, his story is actually depicted in a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Um, it, it, it's, it's graphic, um, so know that much. But it, it captures the story of this man's faith and journey into this battle. He was a Christian, uh, a, a man with deep conviction, uh, came from a traditional background, but there he is on top of that field, and this was taken just before his platoon engaged the enemy. So when, on that first day, when they charged into the teeth of battle, thousands of people were injured. And many, in fact, many of the people that he was serving alongside, the people he knew directly, as well as people he didn't, were injured. And so his job began. He... he find a person who was injured, he'd provide the, the, the combat first aid that they needed there in the field, and then he'd begin to, to, to bring them back to this point where he could lower them down using a sling to safety. And once he was done with that, he'd go back out on the battlefield and he'd, he'd find another one and he'd bring him back, drag him, carry him, whatever it took. This guy's story as depicted in the movie, or if you hear any, any interviews with the, this guy, is really unique because the guy's mentality, you know, he's in the middle of the fray, and he's part of a community, a community, a platoon of, of fighting men, and his mindset is, I am there. I, the joy of the Lord is filling my heart. I'm a faithful follower of Christ, and I'm here to save guys. And so as he would drag a guy back, get him down to safety, you see it depicted in the, in the film that he would then pray, oh Lord, just give me one more. Let me find one more. Just give me one more, Lord. And so when it was all said and done after the war, this man received the Medal of Honor because lo and behold, he had saved the equivalent of two to three platoon worths of guys' lives. 75 to 100 lives this guy saved. The coward who wouldn't carry a gun. But instead, the man filled with joy because he was there with purpose. And so then the people that he saved got to go back to their communities at home, be affected. And even today, as we hear the story, we get to be affected by this man's faith. And so faith does play an important role in um, the direction that our community heads, at the direction our lives head, and our ability to influence it. <clears throat> So, if you were to take away one thing today, I'd hope that it would be this, that true faith produces unyielding joy. We know that, you know, we want our community strong, we want our community to have all the things that Google said it should have, but we also know that biblically there is a take on joy and faith that has an ability to change a community, to, to alter its uh, perspective to bring about a paradigm shift, and that's what we're after. So true faith produces unyielding joy. Now, when I when I was reading the news this last week, I saw that the CDC recently posted some new numbers about the suicide rates in the United States. And believe it or not, in 2022, uh, there was more suicides than ever before. 
And the last time there were that many was actually back during World War II. Second to that is that Gallup also, during last week, posted some numbers about the happiness of the United States. And that number also also fell for the worse, down to 38%. So 38% of people said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a happy person. I'm not a satisfied person. But we as believers, having faith that has drawn us into a, a, a deep and meaningful relationship with the Lord, we then bear the marks of what it looks like to be in that relationship. We we have been healed, restored, filled with the Holy Spirit who then empowers us to be effective in representing who the Lord is to the people around us. And that is something that in the fray makes a difference. <clears throat> and so just to be clear, as we talk about joy, I'm going to make a little bit of a distinction between joy as it's defined by Webster, which that will be up here in just a minute. Joy is defined as web, from Merriam-Webster as, uh, let's see, where, as a feeling of great pleasure or happiness, i.e. satisfaction. So that's how, that's how the world feels, thinks about what joy is. Now that's true, and conversely then, if that is true, then things like agony and suffering would be opposite, would be converse to antonyms to joy. But at the same time, even though that joy can be a feeling and is a feeling that we experience on a regular basis, hopefully, that that is something that biblically is bigger. Joy is bigger per the Bible's definition of it because joy is meant to be a long-lasting fact and, yes, an emotion that drives us forward in relationship, that proves uh, that, that we have been people whose lives have been changed because of our perspective about the world and about the opportunities that we face. And so this morning we're going to open to Psalm 16, where we're going to be starting with a man named David. David, a lot of, a lot of you guys probably know about David, but just to, just to kind of preface, this was an average guy. It was a guy like, like us. I mean, in fact, the guy was a shepherd when he kind of began his life. And from that point then, uh, it wasn't long before he was raised up to be a leader of Israel and a king. So this guy, as a, a, a king, would then lead guys into battle. He had experiences similar to how we have. You know, he loved deeply. He had a family. He experienced loss. He struggled with sin. And yet, at the same time, he, he loved God. I mean, we see this in the Psalms again and again. And so, we'll open to, uh, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open to Psalm 16. We're going to start at verse 1. We're just going to briefly look at a couple of key figures who, um, from the Bible, have important things to say that I think might help us understand what biblical joy is meant to be so that we can steward it and pursue God and what he would like to do in the community through the means of joy. So, verse 1 
16 here, Psalm 16. Keep and protect me, O God, for in you I have placed my trust and found refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good beside you. Now, right out of the gate, David, having experienced life, recognizes that the Lord is actually the Lord of the universe. That if he says, I have no good besides you, you know, later on, just a couple chapters later, he leads off with the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so he, I say this just so that we understand that David, he, he was clear about the fact that he was referring to the creator of the universe. He was, he was interacting. He had a real relationship with the creator of the universe, which meant that anything good that he had in his life, uh, anything good that he saw within his community, anything good that was created that he got to enjoy, every single thing came from the Lord. And so he acknowledges this relationship, which I think is really healthy, because as Christians, people who come to the Lord and, and accept the free gift of salvation, of grace through faith, we come under the covering of Jesus and we recognize that he, you know, we've tried to be Lord over our life in a way that has been ineffective. We've not been able to, 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 to restore ourselves, to find lasting happiness, to any of that stuff. And so it's important that I think as Christians that we, we are able to acknowledge the fact that God, the creator of the universe, the only one who could restore and heal my brokenness, that he's done that. And now he's my Lord. He's the one I follow. So I am under his authority. That's, that's what David kind of starts with. If you, if you look at any of his Psalms, you'll notice that that is a theme throughout. And so he's got a real clear picture of who he's talking to. And likewise says, we've got a relationship. And that relationship has proven to be one that I can trust in. And that is a cool thing because it's something that's common to us outside of our relationship with the Lord in that we are people who desire, desire intimacy. We desire interpersonal connection with people. And as we build trust, that begets more trust. And David is saying, I'm in that situation right now. I've, you, you, you have proven trustworthy. You have proven my safe place. And I love it. And I, and I want more of it. Verse 3, as for the saints, godly people who are in the land, they are majestic and noble. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have chosen another God will be multiplied, and I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. David also, you know, this guy's a, he's prominent. He's in a place of power as a king, but yet you see this humility in him to recognize the gift of the people of God, a gift that we're familiar with. You know, in this room, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who have walked with us through difficult things, who will walk with us through the next season. And in that way, we have a support system that David has, has proven valuable and it's a reason for his joy so his faith has not only led to the relationship with the creator of the universe 
through which he has been filled with joy and awe that all of this is the Lord's and he's blessed me with the chance to enjoy it. But he's also been awed by the fact that not only do I get to enjoy it, all of my friends do, and that leads to even more joy because they're happy and I'm happy and we get together and celebrate and praise leads to praise, leads to praise. And that, that's a fun thing. I mean, if you've ever been to a concert, that's incredible. Conversely, have, have you ever been through a season of life where, in hindsight, in a really difficult time, where, in hindsight, you realize that, that was for my own good? I, I benefited from that. Or, been through something that you go, oh man, I, 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 gosh, I do not want to have to face this, but I believe with all my heart that the Lord's going to be trust, trust he's going to be faithful and, and remain trustworthy through this. As, as I was reading this verse, I couldn't help but think about Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul uh, used to be the senior pastor uh, of this church. Really great man, super sweet. Um, to, it, he ended up getting a tumor and passed away from it. But I remember seeing him two months before he, he'd passed away. And I, was, I saw him in town, um, despite the pain that I'm sure he was enduring, despite... Um, all the feelings and hardships that come with being in a position like that, I knew that that guy was stoked to see me. He was really excited to see me. And I just felt so loved because of that. That that guy's joy and confidence in the Lord made such a difference in that time when otherwise many people might give in. Many people might give up. Not him. And so, like a light, it did not matter how dark it got. His light shined. His light shined through. And that is what joy does. It affects a community like that. When you're going through something difficult, and you are filled with the joy of the Lord and the confidence that we have as Christians in him, it doesn't matter how much darkness comes around. Flip on that switch, and it... it, it it flees. It retreats. The, the dynamic changes. All right. Verse 5. The Lord is my portion. He is the portion of my inheritance, my cup. He is all I need. You support my lot. The boundary lines of the land have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. My heritage, my inheritance is beautiful to me. I like this because I think there's, there's two things that he's talking about here. In verse 5, he's specifically saying, Lord, you are my inheritance. And that is a spiritual statement that in you I have the security, the assurance of what it means to be saved. And second to that, he's also able to talk from a physical standpoint about being king and overseer of this promised land that the people of God are now living in. And so those are, it's two ways to look at it, and both should inspire joy. And we too are in that position now where, you know, this, this happened before the New Testament, before Jesus. And so now, after Jesus has come, and in light of the fact that he has sent his Holy Spirit, John 15, that he sent his Holy Spirit to be our helper, we likewise have a spiritual inheritance. Like David, the assurance of salvation, 
and in the meantime, the Holy Spirit, which between those two things, our physical life, our time here on earth can't not be changed. It can't not be affected. And that's something I think that, um, that oftentimes when things, when, when you go into the fray or when the fray comes upon you, that it, be, it becomes difficult to reorient unless you know that you know that you know that that's the fact, that the Holy Spirit's with me. And sometimes, you know, the Lord is super gracious. The community around us is there to support us. There's all these fail-safes to avoid potential pitfalls that the Lord's helped us to have. And so the community as a whole benefits from this experience of acknowledging the Lord and what is good and benefits from the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit so that the community can be affected by it. And not only that, but, you know, moving on from from David, we know that David had things to celebrate, but also the Apostle Paul had things to celebrate. And everybody knows the, you know, Galatians 5.5 that talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, come on, patience, Exactly. Exactly. And have you ever thought about the fact that, that joy is second on that list? I mean, it, it's a list, but Paul was a person who was pretty precise. Like, this guy could go and argue with the best of them about, you know, existential, philosophical, religious ideas. This guy, he knew his stuff. So do you think it's any accident that joy is second on that list? I, I, I had never thought about it. I'd heard a, a, recently heard a, a message about joy in which that was brought up, and I, I thought, man, that, that's pretty profound. Because our experience of joy oftentimes isn't correlated with biblical joy that identifies the work of the Lord in the long run, apart from just the happiness of this moment. It should be, and it is, but should it not be more? And we get to benefit from that experience of having more, which through the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, joy is, is one of the fruits that we are benefactors of as we see it worked into our life. Now, living in Kashmir, everybody is familiar with you know, maybe one or two things or tons of things, depending on what you do when it comes to, to farming. Take orchards, for example, fruit. You know, for, for an orchard to bear more fruit next year, you have to take the time to, you know, plant trees as often as you need to plant trees, till the soil and fertilize and pick those fruit and process it and so forth. Cut, cut the suckers and whatever, tons and tons of things. But that practice of doing that means that next year there's going to be more. And so, too, is it with the Holy Spirit in our lives with regard to joy? We lean into the Lord, and the Lord leans into us. We hunger for more, and we ask for more, and the Lord gives it. And that process of sanctification, of growing, uh, and and growing gifted in how how we are people who utilize the fruits of the Spirit for the sake of our community, you know, that is a gift of God, and it's something that we can be super excited about. Joy. Faith produces joy. Second point is that, and last point, 
Joy requires faith. And so we know that, that looking at the fruits of the Spirit, that those are a result of the faith that has drawn us into relationship with the living God. That apart from faith, we don't get the joy of the Spirit in the sense that we get the joy of the Spirit. So we understand as people, maybe before we knew the Lord, that joy is a thing. But what we didn't have was that long-term perspective, that, that assurance of salvation, that regardless of what happens in our life, that we are, we are secure and we've got something to celebrate. I got to really cook. So let's fast forward here. Uh, we've got, so we've got David, we've got the Apostle Paul, and we've also got Nehemiah. Nehemiah makes an interesting statement. Nehemiah 8.10, he says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you think about strength, when I think about strength, I don't often think joy of the Lord, right? I think, okay, like pushing weight, maybe like having a, a mental acuity to be able to endure difficult things. I think of like Navy SEALs. You know, these guys are doing both. They're out there just pushing the limits of a body. But Nehemiah here is saying, don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that is a different perspective for us who probably, some of us need that reminder. I did. And we've seen how through a guy like Desmond Doss, how the joy he took in the Lord in his faith, in his relationship with the Lord, how that propelled him into a position where of great influence with his platoon. We've seen how that happens. So don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Probably something that, that I should learn more about, that we should maybe consider. What does that mean to you? Do you feel like you have the, the joy of the Lord as your strength? And is that something that Likewise, your spouse, your family, your community uh, is, 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 a, is a benefactor of, indirectly. Okay, we're really cooking here. I don't want to keep you guys too long. So, um, the last part of this passage where we started with David, the last part of, of Psalm 16, uh, if you'd like to, feel free to turn to Acts uh, chapter 2. We're going to see Peter actually finish this psalm. And he's doing this on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit has come. So Jesus has died, been resurrected, and now he's sent the Holy Spirit, and signs and wonders are happening. And Peter is there to help give voice, to uh, help people understand what exactly is going on. And so this is what he says. And Bear in mind, this is the end of Psalm 16. I'll point it out when we get there. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds and power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you. As you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. 
But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held by its power. For David says concerning him, this is verse 8 of Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so Peter latches on to what was written almost 600 years before and says, see what David wrote back then? This actually has to do with our risen Lord now. And it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. When he says, you will not let my, let's see, uh, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not yet let your Holy One see corruption. This is, this is describing the fact that Jesus had died and been raised from the grave. That his body did not decay. And Peter is like, we've got reason to be super pumped about this. I mean, the Holy Spirit has come. You guys are bearing witness to the fact, and the Lord has been made himself available to us. Super, super exciting. Have joy. Take heart. And that's something I think that he, having experienced what the Lord was like, sure, like, he, this dude was a broken guy too, but he had interacted directly with the Lord and saw how the Lord would respond to situations where, you know, Peter tripped up or denied the Lord. The Lord always went back and said, you know what? Take heart. Like, I pick you. I pick you. And that's the same that he does for us. You know, tons of us in this room have all sorts of different stuff that we're facing right now, but the Lord picks us now, and he fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can be benefactors of the fruit that fills our hearts with joy that begets more joy that we can share with our neighbor and so forth. It, it's just so cool. Like, I, I hadn't really thought that much about joy before this sermon, and I realize now that the real power in it is far greater than I'd ever even considered, and all because the living God has relationship with us, because he invests himself in us so that we can become more like him, so that we can understand what his word has to say so that we can help others do the same. Super, super cool. Lastly, and I'm closing with this, I promise, um, we are going to move forward to Hebrews 12.2. So we've seen what David had to say. Um, We've talked about what the Apostle Paul said about joy. We've seen that Peter acknowledged the fact that we've got something to be excited about. Now let's see what Hebrews has to say. Again, true faith produces unyielding joy. Hebrews 12.2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand in the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. So Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And the cross being like the most gruesome torture device the Romans, anybody has ever come up with. So much so that the word excruciating is a word that was created to describe the pain that it inflicted. That's what he faced on our behalf so that we might be benefactors of being restored to relationship and all that that entails. And so this morning, just know, Jesus died so that his faith, his hope might become ours. And by grace, we've been given that. If you don't know the Lord this morning and you'd like to, don't, don't leave before meeting someone over by the cross. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't prep ahead of time, but we will have people over there to pray. If you've not met the Lord yet and you want to be restored to right relationship with him, now's your time. This morning is it. Please don't, please don't hesitate. For the rest of us, just know that as benefactors of the Holy Spirit in relationship with God, he is pouring himself into us and through us for the sake of our community and our joy in the face of all of the hardship that might come our way and undoubtedly it will joy is a a definitive fact about who we are in christ our joy is secure in him regardless of what may happen and it's meant to show it's meant to be seen because it makes a difference And how big a difference? I challenge us to find out. So let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for Jesus, that um, you would sacrifice so much that we might be restored to right relationship with you. Thank you, God, that in light of the the brokenness of our world, that that you have made a way for us to live um, equipped, ready uh, to go out and to represent in a way that will bring you glory and honor. And that is our heart this morning, that you would be glorified, God. And so we pray that you would continue to equip us, continue to open our hearts and our eyes to see more clearly um, what it means to be of service to our neighbor, to be of service to our community. And would you let joy be definitive, a definitive aspect of who we are as a community, that people would see it and want it because of who you are, because of what you've done. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.